Hi, I'm Jan. And I'm Lynn. Welcome to the Lamplighters podcast. Lamplighters is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. We are grateful to be on the journey with you this year as we travel through the Psalms. I am happy to say today that our friend Laura is back with us. And if you've been listening to us for a while, you are already familiar with her voice because she comes a couple of times a year to add her voice and her thoughts to the mix, which we are always so grateful for. Um, Today, we are going to talk about hope and despair in our study of Psalm 27 and Psalm 88. But after talking to you, Laura, I understand that you want to start with something completely different. Optical illusions. Is that right? Yes, Lynn, that's right. And first, let me say how grateful I am to be here and how excited I am for us to be starting the study of Psalm Mm. in Lamplighters this year. I do want to start talking about optical illusions, and that may cause you to wonder what that has to do with hope and despair and with the study of Psalms. So I'm sure I'm sure you'll straighten that out for us. Well, that's the plan, but no (laughs) promises. So I will I will try to make that connection as we go along. First, I want to have you cast your mind back a couple of years ago. Um, You may remember that there was a viral photograph a few years ago of a Mm. dress. And this was a dress that some people looked at and they saw blue and black stripes. Mm -hmm. And other people looked at and they saw white and gold stripes. Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. I remember. It was everywhere for a while. And the simple explanation of that was that people perceive color differently. So some people really did see it as blue and gold, clear as anything, and I happen to be one of those. And then other people saw it as blue and black. I was one of those. I didn't see blue and gold. That would would have been strange. (laughs) Blue and black. I was one of the people who saw that, but plenty of other people saw white and gold. People's color perception is different. Mm -hmm. And since we literally cannot see through one another's eyes, we can't be sure how someone else perceives something, even as fundamental as color. Mm. So it's, it should come as no surprise that two people can look at the very same thing and see something different. Mm. There's a very famous example that I want to talk about briefly that's been around for more than a century. It's called Rubens' vase. Mm-hmm. And it's actually an example of what's called the figure ground distinction, mm. which is a visual effect. And I know some of us like those kind of um, offbeat topics more than others. But remember the (laughs) figure ground distinction. It's a visual effect rather than an optical illusion. But it illustrates something very important about how we perceive the world. Ruben's vase is a drawing that you can look at and you can see a white vase on a dark background, or you can see two faces in profile looking at each other with the white white space between them. Mm -hmm. And actually, it's pretty easy to see the vase and the faces but you cannot see them at the same time. Mm-hmm. You have to intentionally make the shift from focusing on the vase in the center to focusing on the faces on either side. Our brains decide what is in the foreground and therefore what's most important and what should stay in the background. Um, I remember those two examples, Laura, that um, people came to blows over that dress. <laughs> they <laughs> it did. It was really funny. Like there was a right and wrong answer. Yeah, exactly. And, but, you know, we've all had that experience of differences in perception. Um, you can think of almost any area in your life right now, and two people can view the same uh, issue, the same facts very, very differently. They can come to completely different conclusions. I had this recently 
um, in the cowboy camp meeting that I go to every year, there was some issue that was facing, you know, the camp at large and uh, someone proposed a solution. Now, I looked at that and thought, this is brilliant. I wish it had been mine. Mm -hmm. And my friend looked at it and said, that's the stupidest thing I have ever heard. That will never work. (laughs) Same facts, same solution, completely different conclusions because we were looking at it from two different directions. Mm -hmm. And that's so easy. I think uh, it helps if you know the person real well. It helps to kind of get on the same page. Um, when my kids were growing up, we had a, a little boy next door who was just precious and adorable, and he would come over to play. But every time he came over to play, he was very tall and very gangly, and he broke something every <laughs> single time. And I thought he just, you know, wasn't paying attention. His mother, on the other hand, looking at the same set of facts, uh, thought he's just being a five-year-old. Mm. And when I realized, oh, my gosh, he's five, he's not 12, even though he's that tall, it changed my perception of him because she was looking at it from a different perspective and new information that I didn't know. So, you know, we all bring our own experience to bear on those interpretations, and we have tendencies. Some people are glass half full and Mm -hmm. some people are glass half empty. And, you know, it just depends on which lens we have, what we see. So it's easy to have different perspectives. Yes, I will. I I have no idea what this says about me, but I will say when that dress thing came out, I could see both variations. I could too. Okay, okay. I was like, whatever I set my mind to see is what I could see. So there's that perception thing. And the other thing, I mean, I've noticed this so many times in my life, but especially with my older sister, when we have conversations about childhood, she was 14 months older than me. So we were virtually raised as twins. And we can talk about something that we both remember happening in our childhood, and we have such different memories of what it was that actually happened. Mm -hmm. You know, one of us can think it was some great thing, while the other one was like, oh, that was so traumatic for me. I mean, really can be polar (laughs) opposite. Um, So I get that. Yeah, my brothers and I do that. When you talk to my brothers, you'd think that we were, all three of us were raised in completely different families. Exactly. (laughs) So, Laura, how does this fun talk, (laughs) connect us back to the Psalms and what we're studying today. I could go on and on with those different expressions, different experiences for so long, but to pull it to the Psalms that we're studying, let's talk about some context and some definitions. Oh, you're speaking my language. (laughs) And I thought about you, Lynn, while I was was studying this part. Psalm 27 is part of book one of the Psalms, and it's a Psalm of David. So as you recall, David is associated with almost half of the Psalms. We can think of David here as a prayer coach who teaches Mm -hmm. us how to address God in good times and bad. In this psalm, he reflects on both good and bad times, which you might think of as being able to see both the face and the face Mm -hmm. in in that conundrum. And he provides a model for us, which I will come back to in just a moment. Mm -hmm. Psalm 88, on the other hand, comes near the end of book three, after the exile and the downfall of David's kingdom. This psalm is attributed to Heman, who was one of the sons of Korah, and there are about a dozen psalms that are attributed to the sons of Korah, and Heman was probably a very wise, talented, and accomplished man. It's worth remembering here that he is lamenting not just personal troubles, but the suffering of his people at Mm -hmm. large. And now a couple of definitions. Biblical hope, since we are talking about hope today, biblical hope has a special, a specific meaning. It's not the same as I hope it rains today, or I hope you get that job, Mm -hmm. or even I hope my dress still fits. 
<laughs> Those are good things. They make our lives easier, happier, more convenient. But that is not the kind of hope we are looking for in the Psalms or in our relationship with God. Biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good to happen in the future. It is forward-looking faith. Mm. Hope is the foundation on which we base our lives, believing that God always keeps his promises. So to put it succinctly, biblical hope is active. It is not merely a positive emotion. Mm. Well, um, out of all that stuff that you just said, Laura, the part that really rings um, true or or loudly, I would say to me, is that reminder that biblical hope is active. Because I think, you know, suddenly we, if we're in a dire situation, despair, if we haven't been practicing how to talk to God during those times, we're not going to have the vocabulary to do it. So it's like, get ready when it's not happening. You know, start reminding yourself who God is and what he does so that when it actually happens, you have, if nothing else, the muscle memory to get you back in that place. Mm. Well, I will confess that I had to learn something you touched on, Laura, and that is that hope isn't a feeling um, and it, it's not something that you see, right? Biblical hope is future-oriented. You don't see it yet. Uh, and that's based on the character of God. So it never fails. Despite what's going on around us, despite what we feel about it, we can focus on what we can't see. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ and his promises, and not on what we can see, uh, the danger of the enemies or the situation or whatever, whatever we happen to be in. And how do we do that? It's like Lynn said, you spend time with God and his promises. You you remember his faithfulness in the past, and so you can turn your faces to the future. And And that that touches— Yeah, go ahead. That touches so much on trust, which was the lesson from last week. Through those experiences, we learn to trust, and trust gives us hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's—what we're hoping for is the blessing that God has promised his people. It's not— necessarily so specific, God gets to determine what the blessing is. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's what our hope is in, is this His knowledge of what's good for us. Okay? Well, so that's the, that's the fun part. But uh, the other part of today's lesson is despair. So that's not such a fun topic. What do you have for us on that? It is not. Uh, hope is much more um, pleasant to talk about. <laughs> but unfortunately, we do need to acquaint ourselves with despair because if we don't do that, we have that limited perspective. Mm-hmm. We do not have the full picture. Hope and despair are both parts of our lives. One of the main definitions of despair is the complete loss or absence of hope, mm. which puts hope and despair as polar opposites. But I don't think that quite captures it because despair occurs in the midst of great suffering when we are already exhausted and worn down and acutely aware of our limits, so our resources are at a low ebb. Where hope spurs us to action, despair can lead us to passivity or even to paralysis. Oh, yeah. The Old Testament gives us some excellent examples of people in despair, and despair mm-hmm. should not be considered an, a part of weakness or a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a minute about Job. Job, yeah. who through no fault or misdeeds of his own, was severely afflicted. Let me read you a few verses from Job 30 that shows the depth of his despair. 
and now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. In his great power, God becomes like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. Mm -hmm. He throws me into the mud, and I am reduced to dust and ashes. What a gripping picture. What a gripping report of what Job's life was like Mm -hmm. at this point. And then I also think of Elijah. Elijah, a great prophet who who lived his life um, for many years as a faithful servant to God, but who becomes gripped by fear to the point that he actually goes out and sits under a bush to die. Um, so a, a verse from 1 Kings 19, he came to a broom brush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. It doesn't say this, but hoping not to wake up. But he, but he did wake up and God, in fact, came near to him and showed his power. So Job and Elijah are both revered Old Testament figures known for their strength and their faithfulness, yet despair was part of their story, and Mm -hmm. importantly, a part of the story that is included in Scripture. You notice in the Scripture that I read that they both see God as having a role in their suffering, Mm -hmm. and therefore a role in their overcoming suffering. So that tells me we we need to pay attention to their experience of despair Mm -hmm. and not Um, pretend that it doesn't exist, or try to move past it too quickly. Psalm 88 is one of the great examples of despair in the Old Testament and is often regarded as the saddest song in the entire book of Psalms. I'd vote for that. You don't want to read the sadder ones, do you? (laughs) No. Let let me read verses 3 through 5. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who, you are, who are cut off from your care. Mm. So the psalmist doesn't hold back in expressing his utter desolation and isolation. I can't say I've encountered that level of despair, sadness, disappointment, loss, helplessness. yes. To all of the above, but I've never counted myself among those who go down into the pit. However, I do recognize signs of despair in myself when I get too sucked into the new cycle and the general incivility that's mm-hmm. all around us. And what happens when, to me in that case, is that not only am I acutely aware of my limitations to change the course of events, mm-hmm. I tend to detach rather than to engage. That In that regard, it is the opposite of hope. I become less active, Mm. less involved, Mm. and I become not only depressed, which for obvious reasons, um, despair and and depression are closely related, I also become passive. Mm. I discovered that, actually, Laura, in uh, the year and a half or two years after my daughter Cameron was killed. Um, despair was a real good description for me, and I um, I could have written Psalm eighty eight. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of in my head call it the the year of God's silence. Um, several things happened that year that in and of themselves would have been manageable, but all together um, I felt like God was piling on, and um, not that He was causing the suffering, but certainly that He allowed it. 
and that he darn well could do something about it and wasn't doing anything. And so I poured all of that out to him. Clearly, I was depressed. Physically, I was tired. And this is so depressing. I didn't feel like eating. Nothing tasted good, but I gained weight. (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) Emotionally, I felt like I was wandering around in a fog. I couldn't see clearly. Um, I couldn't feel anything, even though I knew socially what I should, the appropriate emotion. I just didn't, I didn't feel any emotion. I sort of lived life, stepped back, like you said, detached from that. It was definitely a dark night of the soul. Um, Despite pouring out my heart uh, before God, and I I was wrestling with that one time, and my counselor said, oh, well, you haven't given up on God yet. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're still too mad at him. And I went, oh, I'm still in relationship. I'm just, it's a different kind of one. So it's a bleak picture, but it's important to step into those things to, as my friend, wise friend has said, to learn the right lessons when you're in them. And I was very fortunate. I had a very loving and understanding uh, husband and very patient friends who continued to carry me and point me toward Jesus, even when I didn't want to be pointed toward Jesus. And they got me through that. But it was a process. It Mm. was a process. And I learned a lot of uh, lessons from David, actually. Well, Jan, um, I think you have just articulated what um, people who suffer a great loss often feel. Um, you know, I think the the death of a loved one can be particularly devastating. Um, as you know, I lost my father this past year, mm-hmm. but it was expected. Um, and my dad had lived a great life. So I would not say that we were in despair. We were sad and we were grieving, but we were not in despair. However, six weeks before my father died, we very unexpectedly lost another family member. And it was a completely different case. And there has been a lot of despair, especially for those who were the closest to that person. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that sense, yes, I I really get what you're talking about. Well, Laura, you you mentioned that we can think of David as a prayer coach. I love that image, Um, how to approach God in good times and even in despair. So what do you say that he has to teach us? Well, it is football season, so I think we we (laughs) might in Lamplighters have prayer coaches rather than other kinds of coaches. But thank thank you for bringing me back to that point. Um, Psalm 27 is a good example of hope, even though it's clear that David is confronting both enemies and troubles. I want to work through the organization of the psalm and reflect on a few of the verses. So diving into Tom, to Psalm 27 for just a moment. In the first few verses, David expresses confidence in God. Some examples. The Lord is my light and salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. In this, I will be confident. It's interesting to note that verse 1 is the only time in the Old Testament when light is associated with God, although it is commonly associated with Jesus in the New Testament. Remember that David is a hinge through which we can look back at God's faithfulness to his people and also look forward to the promised Messiah. Mm. David moves on to express his desire to experience the blessings of being in God's presence. Some examples here. One thing I will seek is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He expresses what it means to be in the presence of the Lord, to be set high up on a rock, my head lifted up, to offer sacrifices of joy and sing praises to the Lord. These are good reminders that we receive many gifts from God that we cannot provide for ourselves. The heart of Psalm 27 is a prayer 
for seeking God and for seeking God's guidance. A few examples here. Do not hide your face from me. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Teach me your way and lead me in a smooth path. I would have lost heart unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Mm. It's clear in this middle section that David is in some distress and he has to diligently look for God. When he seeks guidance, it's for a smooth path, that is a level or even path, not an easy time of it. Finally, he acknowledges that God will find a way to show his goodness in this life as well as in the next one. If you're interested, there's a lovely praise song called I Will See the Lord, Land of the Living, that you might want to take a listen to while you read Psalm 27. It's Mm -hmm. quite a nice song to listen to. Then finally, at the end of of Psalm 27, David encourages others. Wait on the Lord, he says. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord. As we've discussed before, waiting is also active rather than passive. In waiting for the Lord, we continue to seek Him, serve Him, and rely on Him. And in so doing, we become stronger and more faithful. So David, the prayer coach, teaches us to remember God's faithfulness and blessings, to seek His presence and companionship in all circumstances, to turn to Him for guidance, and to wait. That's a model for how we can approach God with an attitude of hope. Mm-hmm. Well, I love everything about this psalm. It has such a positive feel to it, but with just that built-in honesty. It's, it's not a false sense of, you know, joy. It's real. He's acknowledging his pain and his problems. He doesn't act like they're not there. He's not just, you know, looking on the bright side of things, right? Um, this is this is how we live our life. Life is hard. Bad things happen. Difficult things happen. People get hurt. And so often we're so uncomfortable with that with, that we try and cover it up with platitudes that really are more harmful than helpful. And, you know, haven't we all heard, well, God must have a better plan. Mm-hmm. It's true. He does. We know he does, <laughs> but it's not what we want to hear in that moment, right? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> So uh, David is not trying to make this situation seem less dire or painful, but what he's doing that's so important is he's shifting the focus to God, right? His focus isn't on the problems that he's having or even what he wants God to do about them. You know, he is focused on who God is, who he knows, who God has told him who he is eternally and the promises that he's made. He has a hope that is that confident, confident expectation that God is with him and that God is really all he needs. And, you know, I'm not sure that there's a better example of action in that, in that kind of situation than this, act, than this psalm is. Um, I, I will not say that despair has been a regular companion in my life because it hasn't. Um, but I, I can say that there's a good chance that it might be right? It's not something that I can avoid just because I don't want it. Um, But practicing praying that honesty to God, I think is what will help all of us if indeed we find ourselves in in the times of despair. Lynn, I'm glad you said that because it is so easy for Christians to be flippant yeah, and to kind of try to plaster over things and pretend that they don't exist or they're all going to work out or, you know, just whatever. And 
And we, in order to be authentic, real, transparent Christians, we cannot do that. We Mm -hmm. just, we have to acknowledge what's going on in the other person, whatever it is, and hope and despair are not either or. Right. They're both and. And I think David shows us how to have hope in the midst of despair. And that's the less of the takeaway from him that I have. Mm -hmm. You know, you can focus on the present pain or you can focus on the future hope. And David was the author of some of his own problems. Just as we are often the author of of our own. so Good thing. Good thing to remember. So So he he is a coach who's been in the game and knows knows a thing or two. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have final thoughts? I do. These two Psalms perfectly bookend hope and despair. Psalm 27 begins with light. The Lord is my light and salvation. And Psalm 88 ends with darkness. Darkness is my closest friend, Mm -hmm. it says. Psalm 88 captures the full weight of despair. However, this psalm is often included in the lectionary for Good Friday, the darkest day in the Christian calendar, Mm. but a day in which Mm. we know Easter is coming. Jesus was crucified and experienced the darkness and the depth of separation from God, but that was not the end of the story. God brings life from death, victory from defeat, hope from despair, and often in ways we could never imagine. Mm -hmm. God does not change. But our perspective on Mm -hmm. circumstances and events often does change. Mm -hmm. We are wired to perceive the world in a certain way. So we may see the dress as blue and black rather than white and gold, Mm -hmm. for example. And we don't always have insight into why others perceive things the way they do. That's a reminder of how important it is to have grace and compassion when we Mm -hmm. don't see, see, see things the same way. However, we do have the option to shift our own gaze to put God's strength, goodness, and faithfulness in the foreground Mm. and not leave it in the background. So I have a concluding question for today. Hope and despair are always in the picture in our lives. Where is your focus this week? And if despair is in the foreground right, right now, what encouragement can you take from the Psalms to help you focus on hope. Mm. Those are really good thought questions um, to send our friends home with. And I would add to grace and compassion, humility, just understanding that we may not be right. Shocking as that might be to us uh, when we have a different perception than someone else does. So anyway, Laura, I want to thank you for coming. It has been a wonderful time. And uh, until next time.